Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing Damien Chazelle's biopic of Neil Armstrong and First Man, Sony's follow-up to the 2014 movie Goosebumps, Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween, the latest from Drew Goddard in his second-ever feature film, Bad Times at the El Royale, plus an odd little movie that came out of nowhere called Kinky. I'll explain when I when we get there. So let's get started. We have serious problems. We've got this under control. You're a bunch of boys. You don't have anything under control. First thing I want to do is apologize for last week's episode. I was recording way too late. Uh, apparently anything close to midnight is is well out of my range for being coherent and, you know, <laughs> functioning. I've become Cinderella in my old age of 29, so sorry about the bad episode last week. I'm going to do better from now on. Um, and we're going to start off this episode with me eating crow mixed in with a little humble pie because for all of the crap I talked about Damien Chazelle, he made a movie that I actually respected. Whereas I still have my qualms with Whiplash and La La Land. I still don't find them enjoyable in the slightest. At least with First Man, I respect the craft. I respect the work that went into it and... I you know I can I can say I can tip my hat off to him saying hey you did a good job. Sadly, that's about all I can do. See, this is a weird emotion for me, in that there is no emotion. This is one of the first times in a long while where I actively felt like an actual critic watching the movie. I was I it was like I was appraising something for its value, like. Ah, yes, hmm, it seems that the acting performances are well are very well done. Some of these seem to be wooden, but for, for the most part they seem they are well they are well done. Ah, yes, the the camera work is most excellent. Yes, quite, quite. Mhm. Yes, indeed. Uh it didn't feel like I was watching a movie. It felt like I was appraising an art piece, and I don't like that feeling. I I mean at least with La La Land and Whiplash, I had visceral reactions. I had emotions. I felt, I felt, you know, indignance and outrage at the at at, at what I was seeing. I did, I didn't enjoy myself, but at least I felt something. First Man, I did not feel anything watching this movie, and maybe that's the point. Um, this, I mean, dealing with Neil Armstrong, apparently he was a fairly introverted and stoic personality. But I didn't enjoy seeing his life being portrayed in this manner. It felt very cold and calculating. Like, it was, like it was a, a movie made by a robot who has no comprehension of human emotion and 
depth of feeling, you know? And that's not to say that it's a bad movie either. Like, like they did this interesting aspect where it's a lot of hand, hand, handy cam. It's very much, it almost feels like a documentary recreating these you know, recreating what the events that lead, led up to the Apollo 11 mission. And for the most part, that's fine, but it didn't, it very, it's when it's just them by themselves in their home, like it's just Janet and Neil by themselves, it's very distracting. I didn't, it's not something I would have done personally. I didn't, I didn't take much to take, you know, that's sort of, it's almost motion, it almost creates a sense of motion sickness when there isn't a need for it. And, I feel like just just get a tripod, just just get a steady cam. It's fine. You don't need to hold everything like <laughs> like you're trying to film a documentary when it's just a movie, dude. Chill. Like it's it was a neat idea. I it, I didn't care much for it. Um, and yet everything about this movie is like ninety percent of it is accurate to the events of what happened. Like even Buzz Aldrin, who was very outspoken when it comes to space and the the portrayal of astronauts and the treatment of astronauts, he has stayed fairly quiet in the wake of all of this. Meaning, and leading a lot of people to say that he had nothing to say, which means, which is like almost high praise coming from him because if he's not complaining about it, it means you didn't screw up. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I I will say that. Uh, the the whole bit about the American flag controversy, I should have known better than to side with the likes of Marco Rubio. Yeah, I mean, if he's the one leading the charge in, in the outrage on the outrage train, it's it's not a good ride. And that's the thing. I will admit, having two or three seconds in the montage of them at the end of the movie. Doing the doing the lunar mission, re, like recreating the shot of Buzz Aldrin planting the flag, that would have been a nice touch. But it's ultimately not about the lunar mission. It's about Neil Armstrong, and I get why he. I I understand why it wasn't the that wasn't the focus. I think it would have been a nice touch. I don't think it would have changed the movie though. And I feel like that's the whole thing is that you see the you see the American flag on the moon, you see it next to the lunar module. But this isn't about that. It's about Neil Armstrong. So I get why it wasn't a big concern of his. Um, and, of course, the cast is solid. Um, Claire Foy, I think, is probably going to get nominated for a bunch of awards, and she deserves it. She did a great job. Uh, Corey Stahl is Buzz Aldrin, and I think, he, I think he's a good uh, good person for the role. Um, Ryan Gosling has some good moments in this, but he, for a lot of it, he's that usual sort of statue face, like, unemotive person again and i i i don't get a lot of i it's, i think it's i don't know if it's just that ryan gosling is a meathead who can't really emote has who's always just kind of like who, who's like who doesn't have functioning facial muscles or something but i always feel like he's like he like he's just kind of you know snapping there while he's looking at you or just staring off into the middle distance like what were we talking about what's going on there's even a good uh, performance done here by uh, someone who was last seen in La La Land uh, named Olivia Hamilton. She plays Jason Clark's wife, who is a fellow astronaut. And I think uh, she definitely showcases that she is someone to be, you know, to keep to keep an eye on. That she probably has a lot more in her and we got to wait and see. Hopefully she gets more opportunities to, perf- to 
to showcase her talents. I think she's she has a lot of potential. Um, and yeah, we've got once again Kyle Chandler's in this. Um, I'm trying to think of who. Let me pull up the cast list real quick. Um, like, but even besides the main ones, this whole cast is actually pretty damn decent. Uh, here we go. First man. I can admit, Ryan got, um, Kieran Hines is in this as one of the astronauts. I believe a lot of these guys are just astronauts. Shay Wiggum, who also makes an appearance in, uh, one of our movies coming up. Um, a lot of guys I don't off the I recognize off the top of my head. Uh, Paulo, Pablo Schreiber um, plays Jim Lovell, and then Christopher Abbott plays Dave Scott. A lot of these guys I don't recognize by name, but yeah, Kyle Chandler plays Deke Slayton, who's kind of the main um, manager over at NASA running these missions. And then who's the who's the this guy I recognize? He kind of looked like. Um, I, I can't p- put my finger on who he reminds me of, but there's a guy who's there's an older actor who uh, Frank Langella. He kind of he kind of reminds me of Frank Langella. Um, let me see if I can find him. I don't remember his character name off the top of my head. Um, it's not Shay Wiggum, is it? Mm, no, I don't. Wait. No, it's not him. Uh, sorry, it's it's gonna bug me until I find the guy because he, he definitely reminds me of a younger Frank Langella, but he, and he's the one kind of always opposite Kyle Chandler as sort of one of the higher ups at NASA. Is it? No, it's not. I don't think that's him. No, it's not him. Damn it. This is gonna bug me until I find the find the guy. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Ch- Chuck Yeager. Uh, is this him? I don't think this is him. This guy looks more like uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Um. Uh, um. Here, why don't I do this? I, why don't I just go to the photos? from the movie and hopefully that hopefully those will show who I'm looking for. Yeah, it. Kyle Chandler. Not in that shot. There he is. Okay. Uh Kieran Hines? That is Kieran Hines. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, Kieran Hines is the guy I'm thinking of. Um, and he he's kind of the higher, one of the, high, one of the higher ups at NASA. Uh, what's his character's name? Robert Gilruth, for those who are more familiar with the story of the moon landing. And all the actors are good. Um, some of the kid actors give, can be wooden. Uh, some of the performance, some, even some Claire Foy's uh, deliveries can be a bit off. And I don't know, like, that's the thing. Chazelle is a relatively consistent director. Like, he can have actors give solid performances. Although, I'll even admit, like, with Miles Teller and Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling and La La Land, there definitely were some bits where it's like, human, explain explain how to emotion. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, by all accounts, I mean, there's even a bit in this movie where one of the astronauts involved in the space program actually actually told Chazelle he it was he should probably add add something that wasn't true just to make things a little easier. And so, otherwise, like the stuff, even uh, Neil, I was wrong that Neil about Neil Armstrong's kids like deriding this movie. No, they were praising this movie. In fact, they were part one of them. They were some of the main like resources for this movie. So they were Chazelle and the crew were really on point when trying to factually recreate this. You know, this man's life, and I. This is the kind of stuff I expect from my biopics. Problem is, I also expect them to be, you know, enjoyable to watch. I, I, I don't want to watch a clinical sort of just recreation. I want to watch a story. I want to watch some emotion. I want to watch some real, you know, drama. And there was dramatic points, but everything felt so cold and distant. And I don't know why. I don't know why. It, of all the of all of Chazelle's movies, this is the one. Where he's telling a really dramatic story, but it feels so clinical. It feels so. It feels so like precise that it never feel that it never has the emotion necessary to really. And I think part of that is also just because I don't think Gosling is that great of an actor. I know people love. I love him either for his appearance or for his characters, but I don't see him giving good performance. I I can't tell you a really great. Ryan Gosling performance. I enjoyed him in The Nice Guys. I thought he was fun in that. I don't think he gave a great performance. I just don't think Gosling is that great of an actor. I think he's. I think he's. I think he's just a, a, a movie star. He's not an actor, and I think that's kind of a, a, a deal breaker for me. I don't care about movie stars. I want people who can give me a character and make me care about them. And so. Yeah, um, overall, this is a movie I respect and I commend for their for all of their devotion to accuracy and for its for its execution. I I can't say that I recommend this movie for people. I mean, if you want to try it, maybe you'll enjoy it, but I wouldn't say rush out and see it personally. This feels this definitely feels like it's it's awards bait. So if this if that's your bag, go for it. Um, Otherwise, I can't. I can't imagine seeing this movie again. This is not a movie you want to see over and over again. This is a movie that's kind of like made for, I think, the awards award season and forgotten about. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. a walking, talking dummy and you didn't tell me? Okay, well, he seemed like a really nice guy at the start. They're moving. So tiny and cute, what can they possibly do? Sonny, they're just gummy bears. I haven't really talked about the uh, original Goosebumps. That came out while I was while I was kind of on hiatus from making movie reviews, 
So as a quick recap, I did. I mean, I didn't watch it, but from what I remember, it was a solid kids movie. It was a great tribute to the Goosebumps novels. Jack Black was great in it. Uh, he was great as both the voice of Slappy and as R.L. Stein. Oh, he's a bit on on the heavier side to play. R.L. Stein looks more like Tim Burton than Jack Black, but uh, him and Jillian Bell work great off each other. The kid actors are 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 great for this sort of uh, movie. For and that original Goosebumps is a fun Halloween like comedy, so to speak. Whereas this one, it's not quite as good. Sadly, um, the uh, the lead actors feel like they're five years older than their characters are. They're supposed to be in middle school, but they both look like they're the same age as their sister, the one guy's sister who is eighteen years old and about to go off to Columbia University. Um, and then the acting is uh, this is um, the sister in this is uh, the the hot girl from well the hot the hot teenage girl from uh, um, Welcome to the Jungle Jumanji two and the one who ended up in Jack Black's body oddly, oddly enough so they're back in a movie together <laughs> uh, I think this is even from a couple of the writers of Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle I think they're 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 becoming some yeah. Uh, Rob Lieber is one of the main writers on this, and he's best... Okay, no, he's best known for Peter Rabbit, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, and a single episode of The Goldbergs. Although he is... A, he did produce some of the other episodes as well. And so, yeah, he's not... He, he really isn't that great of a writer, and it shows. This is not great writing. I will say this is his best written movie, if for nothing else that it didn't make me hate myself for watching it, whereas Alexander and Peter Rabbit did. Uh, the director is the director of The Duff and one of the lowest rated uh, comedies on Netflix when we first met, uh, starring Adam Devine. And who's the other girl in that? Who's the girl in that? Uh, Alexandra Daddario, oof. Former, uh, I believe, Nickelodeon uh, teen star. Uh, so yeah, these aren't people who make great content, but, and this is kind of, once again, middling. It's not a very, I mean, it's a fine kids movie, but it's not something that's all that, you know, memorable or interesting. Um, there, like, there isn't really a, a direct connection to the last, to the events of the last movie. I'm not sure if it takes place in the same universe, other than Arl Stein, Jack Black does show up at one point. Um... It, but it's, it's written specifically like a bad Nickelodeon or Disney Channel sitcom at the very beginning. And it's awful. The first 20 minutes of this are the worst parts of the movie. It's once they find um, Slappy. And uh, it turns out that was, in fact, uh, Jack Black uh, under a pseudonym reprising his role Slappy. I could hear it as soon as the movie uh, introduced Slappy. And I'm like, oh, oh, that is Jack Black. Oh, I love this. Oh, I'm in love with this part. And yeah, those parts with Slappy are the more are the fun parts of the movie. It's it it gets into some actual horror elements for kids, and it's a lot more fun and compelling. Whereas this, these these if it was just these teens trying to enact some sort of sitcom level humor, it would be awful. But the fact once the goosebumps elements start entering the picture, that's when it starts to get fun. Um, it is weird that they made Slappy, uh, telekinetic in order to do his stuff. There's, that's a big, that's a major part. It's like he's got superpowers, which is never, sla like, he was, 
able to jump. I think he was able to teleport, essentially. But I don't remember um, Night of the Living Dummy enough to know what his powers are. But here he's basically like some sort of wizard. He was able to just do whatever the plot demands. And I don't know where that comes from. Uh, it, it also has this weird obsession with, obsession with Tesla. I, I have no idea where that comes from. And it doesn't really add much to anything. Um, it's got uh, Goldberg star Wendy McClendon Covey and former Reno 911 star. And I love her. I didn't recognize her at all. She's, lo- she's lost so much weight uh, that I don't recognize. I'm so used to her in Reno 911. She's kind of cur- curvy that she that her look now is... You know, all new to me. I haven't been watching the Goldbergs. I haven't seen her in that. I haven't seen how she, you know, how you know her appearance has changed. But she's still hilarious. I mean, she doesn't get a lot to do in this because it's a cheesy kids movie. But you know, I like her. She's still funny. Um, this also has the likes of Chris Parnell and uh, who, who else does it have? Um, who are the other people? Chris Parnell, Ken Jeong's in this. Uh, anybody else I recognize? I think those are the big ones. Uh, Wendy, Wendy McClendon Covey, um, Ken Jeong, and Chris Parnell are kind of the main adult supporting cast. Uh, don't recognize the, the male lead, Jeremy Ray Taylor. Oh, he was, a uh, Ben Hanscom in the, in the It movie. And, um, apparently he's just been, like, background... Jake, uh, James Corden's next James Corden. Not sure what that's about. Apparently he was in Geostorm. Oof. Uh, but he, yeah, he's been in it. So hopefully he gets better roles soon. But yeah, he definitely feels too old to be playing. Um, he looks too old to be playing middle school. Even if he's like, let me check. Uh, the Khalil Harris is the his, is his best friend, who's kind of like a scheming, uh, you know, get rich quick kind of guy. And I have no idea how old either of these guys are. Um, doesn't say his birthday for Khalil Harris. This is his first movie. And so let's check Jeremy Ray Taylor. How old is he? Does not say. So I don't know how old these kids are, but... They def they definitely feel like they're too if they don't if they are the right age for these characters they don't look the right age they definitely look like freshmen in high school not full on middle schoolers so I don't know if that's what they were I, it definitely felt like you know the, you know how it is when um, they hire thirty year olds to play high school students it felt like that but with like high school age kids to play middle schoolers it definitely felt like these kids are too old to be playing this. Like they're ru- ru- driving around, riding bikes with wagons attached to them. They definitely felt like they were too old to be pulling this kind of crap. So I think that was a part of the casting department for going for not going for. I feel like these kids should have been way younger. They should have been like about to hit enter middle school, not like high school kids. Got held back a couple of years. Um, see, but. But it, this actually doesn't have that much to do. This isn't based on any of the actual Goosebumps stories. This is this isn't a real tribute. Uh, this basically is just a kids' Halloween movie featuring Slappy as the villain. That's the only real connection to uh, they like. 
there's a bit where Ken Jeong is like a super fanboy of the Goosebumps stories, and he's like, this is the part of the story where this happens, and he, it gets really meta. But this doesn't feel like, I feel like Goosebumps was much better paced and written than this. And I think the last movie did a better job of trying to encapsulate the R.L. Stein's style, whereas this felt more like an actual cash grab. And that's probably not surprising. It's a sequel a couple years after the fact, and it's from Sony, who is not exactly, you know, the best with with uh, its, its uh, bigger budget movies. So, it wasn't that bad. It definitely was better than I expected. I had some fun, but it's not going to work for anyone who is pushing into the double digits. And even at like eight or nine, I wonder if this is, if, this is, if you're not too old for, for this kind of humor... Um, I don't know. Parents, take your kids to this, see what they like it, but I feel like if you're starting to hit into the tween age years, you're too old for this kind of stuff. You can do better. Can I confess something to you? I'm not really a priest. It's a game. It all starts with a simple choice. Would you mind opening the door? No, I ain't gonna do that. Which side are you on? Right, wrong, God or no God, red or black. I've done horrible things. So everybody. Happens, get the whiskey. start including picks of the week because i want to be able to talk about like hey this is my pick of the week this is the one i recommend people see if you're going to see something new this weekend and for me my pick of the week this week is bad times at the el royale it really is just a phenomenal movie this is from drew goddard who is best known as the writer director of cabin in the woods for those who saw that but he's also been a writer on uh buffy angel lost he was the showrunner for Daredevil uh, the first couple of seasons. He helped uh, produce The Defenders as well. Um, he's been a long... He's helped write on The Good Place as well, produced and directed some episodes of that. So he's he's all... You know, he's, a, he's mainly a TV guy, but his last movie was actually pretty damn good as well. Uh, and even though it's kind of... I think it's become kind of a cult classic. Uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with Cabin in the Woods. But it's, it's one of those sort of meta horror movie comedies. And here it's played way more straight. This is essentially Drew Goddard channeling 90s Tarantino. Specifically, Reservoir Dogs meets Four Rooms. Because the idea is, here they're at a fictional hotel that straddles the border between California and Nevada. In that sort of Tahoe region. And so half of the hotel is on California state law, state state property, and the other half is on Nevada state property. And so one half of the hotel abides by Nevada law, the other half by California law. And so you have these several seven strangers, I believe. Um, you've got Jeff Bridges, who goes by the name uh, Father Daniel Flynn, I believe. Uh, Father Flynn, basically, and, and he, it, it, they, it kind of digs into who he really is and how it's kind of a front 
meaning in the trailer it admits he's not exactly he's not actually a priest, but um, Dan yeah Father Daniel Flynn. Um, then you've got uh, Cynthia Erivo, uh who plays Darlene Sweet, who is a Motown backup singer with aspirations of going solo, and she's kind of off to a gig in Reno in the hopes of expecting kind of going you know going into that direction based on um based on her uh producer's suggestion and i didn't quite understand the scene it sounded like he was blackmailing her or something i'm not quite sure what his intention was i I was kind of confused in that scene but basically she's traveling from california to reno in order to in order to get some singing done and try to go solo uh you've got Dakota Johnson as uh, a wo- as a woman who se- who seems to have been who seems to have kidnapped somebody and is keeping them there at the hotel, and then you've got John Hamm as Laramie Seymour Sullivan, a vacuum salesman with uh, another with his own uh, secret. So you've got all these people who one of whom only one of whom really doesn't have a secret per se. He doesn't have any secret hidden agenda or anything. Uh, and then you've got Lewis Pullman, son of uh, actor Bill Pullman, who playing Miles Miller, who's kind of like the only employee at the hotel at this point. And you begin to under- and as the movie progresses, you get to understand his motivations and what's going on with him. And it's it, it's all it's all wild and crazy, and it gets off the rails real quick. Um, yeah, as they, it doesn't take long for things to kind of just just tumble and snowball out of control as this night goes as this night goes along and um then of course you've got Chris Hemsworth who I won't spoil his his uh character type but suffice to say he's tied into Dakota Johnson's uh backstory and he is a it is like I get what he's not in the movie a lot but when he is he is just a spectacle to behold he is he is the he is like one of the best antagonistic performances i have ever seen he is phenomenal in this and as is everybody jeff bridges is great as this um you know aging uh criminal uh former like former former bank robber sort of guy who just want who's hoping to finally just get his last score back score and move on uh, Cynthia Erivo is phenom- is a phenomenal actress and singer. Like she, she is throughout this movie. She is singing these old Motown numbers. Which here's here's a taste of what to expect from this movie. Because not only do they show play the original songs used by using the jukebox, um, they also have Cynthia Erivo performing them as well. If you remember the first trailer, uh, she was singing "This Old Heart of Mine Is Weak for You" by the Isley Brothers. Uh, there's also Unchained Melody by the right... A lot of Motown in this. whole lot of Motown. Four Preps. Edwin Starr. Alana da Fonseca. Um, he's a rebel. That's one... Where, that's where we're introduced to, um, Darlene's backstory. Bed Me, Shade Me by the American Breed. He's the... He's sure the boy I love by the Crystals. Bernadette by the Four Tops is played on the jukebox at one point. Baby, I Love You by Tommy Rowe. Twelve Thirty, Young Girls Are Coming to the King by the Mamas and the Papas. The Letter by the Box Tops. I Got a Feeling by Four Tops. Can't and from the second trailer you might recognize. Can't take my eyes off of you by Frankie Valli. That's in the movie. And then uh, I'll just say this: 
is a fairly prominent Deep Purple song that um, that comes up later on in the, towards the end of the movie that is used to to a wonderful extent. And I it, well, I'll say it. It's hushed by Deep Purple. And the way it's used in the movie is absolutely phenomenal. It, the soundtrack in this movie, both the Michael Giacchino, 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 Michael, G, Michael Giacchino, Michael Giacchino, Giacchino, whatever, Michael, I think it's Michael Giacchino. Um, he, his uh, score is great, but it, he's outshone by the wonderful retro soundtrack on this, and it's beautiful. And it's wonderfully executed, too, between Cynthia Erivo singing it or the jukebox kind of playing it in the background. It's all great. And, um, I, I, you know what's nice? Dakota Johnson didn't suck. I, I think she suffered a lot from um, the same thing Kristen uh, Stewart did in Twilight. Her and Robert Pattinson are solid actors, that were that got their big break in a piece of trash movie, and poor Dakota Johnson had the same problem, and especially when it's directly tied to the Twilight franchise because it's a fanfic somebody cut, um, you know, find, found and replaced all the names with, and then kept everything else. Uh, poor Dakota Johnson, her big break was a piece of crap movie that tainted everyone's perception of her. And thankfully, it, it seems like she's kind of distancing herself from that, from from Fifty Shades and exp- expanding. Apparently, she was in um, The Social Network, which I didn't realize. Uh, but, yeah, after, um, apparently, oh, she was also in Black Mass. I didn't recognize her there either. So she hasn't really, um, uh, yeah, 21 Jump Street, the movie, Beastly. I don't remember her in any of this. So, yeah, she's going to be in between this and Suspiria coming up. She is um, finally try- starting to get some decent projects. And it's, it's ho- I'm, gl- I'm glad because we get to see her a- a get some real acting done. Because here she plays, we, f- we realize the backstory of her and uh, Chris Hemsworth and Kaylee Spaney who you might recognize from, if you saw it, uh, she was the uh, female lead in Pacific Rim Uprising. She's the one who built her own uh, um, built her own Jaeger, that's the little ball. She's the one who teamed up with uh, uh, John Boyega at the end. Here she's playing Dakota Johnson's sister, and damn if they don't look identical. Like, for a second there I thought it was Dakota Johnson doubling as her own twin. But uh, Kaylee Spaney does a great job kind of mirroring uh, Dakota Johnson's uh, demeanor and behavior so that you, that you can tell that they are sisters. And it works perfectly. <laughs> I'm saying perfectly a lot because, yeah, this movie is pretty much perfect for, in my mind. This really is just a phenomenal, execute, phenomenally executed movie. Uh, like... Yeah, everything, and that's the thing. I bring up Four Rooms. I brought up Four Rooms by Tarantino. For those who don't remember, that was a an anthology style movie that Tarantino did early on, where it featured I think Tim Robbins as a bellhop going from room to room, and it was all these crazy things. Like one of his rooms was a witch coven that was trying to enact a a ritual that featured him. 
Tim Roth, not Tim Robbins. Tim Roth is a bellhop at this hotel, and it's him coming across all of these um, all of these crazy people uh, that are that are staying at the hotel, and ha- how this bellhop is being um, being kind of exploited by the by the patrons of the hotel. It's a it's an all right movie. I I can't say it's one of my favorite Tarantino movies, but it, it, it's a nice kind of experiment. I can dig at I can dig that sort of thing. I, I'm glad he went with that direction. I'm glad he went in that sort of style to experiment with. But I'm not exactly big on. I not exact didn't exactly work for me. This worked great for me. This was this was this this uses that same thing of like. Room 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 number five or room number seven or room number one to go into the backstory of all of these characters and you get it cuts back and forth to kind of explain what's what you know all of these characters' backstories and what's what's going on as the lead as the, as the stories kind of co- start to coalesce together and lead into the climax, which is a stellar climax. It is in it is insane. How everything finally went down, and the ending is kind of odd. If you're not paying attention, you're not you're not quite sure what exact what exactly is how exactly it, it all led to that specific ending. But it made sense to me per- personally. But yeah, I took my nephew to this, um, and it, this is two and a half hours. It's long, but I was never bored. I never felt. A, I can't imagine like I can't imagine cutting anything out of this movie. <laughs> it's even though it's the longest movie of the week, it it didn't drag. It didn't. It nothing felt wasted. It felt like it was the right length, and I can't wait to see it again. I'm, I can't wait. I'm gonna as soon as it comes out on video, I'm gonna own it. And I'm gonna and I'm just any time I need to kind of just. Enjoy myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this movie because this is just a delight and an and an enjoyable movie. This is definitely shot right into my top seven for the year, and and I I highly recommend it. This is my pick of the week. You just let yourself go and use your imagination. You want to play? Somebody's been a naughty girl. This last one came right the hell out of nowhere. I had no idea what this movie was, where it came from, and yet it was playing in two theaters near me. So it's got some minor distribution going on. I don't know if it's playing anywhere near you who are listening, but if you get the chance... Keep your eyes out for this year's The Room. I kid you not. If The Room was made by Tyler Perry... If Tyler Perry wanted to make his version of The Room and Fifty Shades of Grey, it's this movie. That's this movie. It's got the elements of Tommy Wiseau, Tyler Perry, and and, and trying to attempt a more sex-positive version of Fifty Shades of Grey, which I'll give it this: it is definitely a much more sex-positive version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Unfortunately, it's it's still absolute garbage, and I can, I still can't like. Maybe, I think the best movie to actually try and tackle BDSM 
and do it well is Secretary, which I still have yet to see. I think that's the only one where you don't laugh outright at it. Whereas here, it is it is some of the greatest comedy I've ever seen <laughs> coming from this movie. Um, this is from director Jean, Jean-Claude Lamar. Um, he is a... I am not familiar with this guy. His only other movies I've heard of are Chocolate City, which is a black version of um, of of uh, Magic Mike, where he where it's basically a, a black you know, it's an all black cast uh, trying to do the Magic Mike story, which features a guy from this movie, Robert Ro- Robert Richard, R I apostrophe. C-H-A-R-D. Uh, I don't know if it's Robert Richard, uh, but he's based, he was uh, in Coach Carter, uh, House of Wax, Cousin Skeeter. Oof. Um, he's, but apparently he works a lot with this uh, Jean-Claude Lamar, uh, Lamar, Lamar uh, however you pronounce it. And then, and then Color of the Cross is the one I know from him. And Color of the Cross, for those who don't know, is basically his black version of Passion of the Christ. Um, the whole, the whole, the whole conceit being Jesus was black and the crucifixion was racially motivated. And I remember that coming out when I worked at Hollywood Video, and I also remember, I also remember not seeing. Apparently, Jean Claude plays Jesus himself, so who knows? But I, I, I know nothing of this Jean Claude guy. Um, I don't know where he came from. I don't know if he's... He says he's American. Uh, he started as an actor who worked on Malcolm X, Dead Presidents, and Gang, Gangs of Rose, Gang of Roses. Um, I don't know that... I, I, yeah, but he somehow got into directing. Uh, New York Undercover, Law & Order, NYPD Blue. American of Haitian descent. Okay, that explains the French name. And then Gang of Roses, Trapped Haitian Knights, Norris Hair Salon, um, Brothers in Arms for Sony with David Carradine. Uh, yeah, this guy is, this guy is definitely like if Tyler Perry and Tommy Wiseau were put in a transporter and merged together as like a, the fly sort of monstrosity. <laughs> not, to, not to say anything bad about the guy, but he is not. Good director. This movie, this movie is like his ripoff of Fifty Shades of Grey, and it is it is legit on the same level as The Room. This is a comedy goldmine. For, for for the first hour, the my all like six of us in the theater watching this were weren't sure what to make of it. We we're all kind of silent, and then eventually, there's a point where one of the actors is like, "Hell yeah, I can't! I wish my chick would spank me." <laughs> this one guy, uh, Robert Richard's um, uh, trainer, his personal trainer, is telling him like, "Dude, it's awesome that your girl's into kinky sex," and. Uh, Every, the way he says it is just so ludicrous that you you have to laugh. And then we all, eventually, we just all started laughing at everything. Like, oh my god. And the, after that point, the tension broke and it turned into Night at the Apollo for us, essentially. It is, it is, this, this, this should obviously be 
on the same level as the room. This is this is pure trash cinema. I this is bad dialogue, really terrible acting. Nobody has any idea how to act in this movie. I have apparently Vivica A. Fox is in it. I don't even know which character she played. I didn't recognize anybody in this movie. This movie looked. I don't know anything about this movie. I just know everybody acted like crap. Everybody was speaking terrible dialogue, and the, their attempt at making BDSM kinky is is just some of the funniest comedy I've ever seen. Oh God. <laughs> It's, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, oh, the best part? The best part. 90% of the scene transitions are fade-outs and fade-ins. It's, it's like, it's like he took every, you know how the Return of the King has all these fake-out endings, you think it's going to be over, and then it fades in and continues on? That starts 10 minutes into this movie. Scene one ends with a fade out into scene two. It is glorious in how terrible it is. It doesn't understand how a universe works. Apparently, this girl, this the lead actress, is a surgeon, but she acts more like a medical doctor, like a like a physician. She doesn't really act like a surgeon. Um, they have base level understanding of how finances work because apparently the male Robert Richard is a is a stockbroker of some kind he's some kind of rich dude this movie has no idea what it wants to do what it's trying to say apparently everything is solved by kinky sex now because like Viv- I think Vivica A. Fox plays um the lead actress's sister in this because I don't think she's old enough to be the mom I think she's the older sister and like her mar- Vivica Fox's marriage is falling apart, so her sister tells her t- takes her to a bachelorette party where they all get uh, sex toys, and apparently Vivica Fox got some sex toys, and their marriage was saved. <laughs> and then she gives um, the be- there's this the whole thing leads up to a uh, wedding scene with one of the girls who she goes to brunch with. Not that it not that it amounts to anything. Except that the lead actress gives the bride some pink fuzzy handcuffs. As though she's like the kink fairy giving out sex toys to everybody. It just, I have no idea what this movie is. I can't believe this exists. And then of course the end scene is straight Tyler Perry nonsense. I won't spoil it for you. Suffice to say... It's on the same level as his Temptation Confessions of a Marriage Counselor where everybody got AIDS and stuff. <laughs> yeah, remember how Temptation ended with everybody getting AIDS? Everyone has AIDS? AIDS, 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 AIDS? Well, that, the end of this movie, is it feels like it was ripped straight out of one of Tyler Perry's melodramas. Uh, and then it just ends! And then, and as soon as it drops that, 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 that bomb, it just walks away like, yeah, that's it. We're done. <laughs> oh God! If kinky is play, look, it's called kinky. Just kinky. It doesn't have any box office registration. Like it's not even picked up on box office mojo. I, it's on IMDb. I have no idea how it ended up in my neck of the woods. Um, I don't know where all it's playing, but apparently it did come out this weekend. And if it's playing. Anywhere near you, look it up. IMDb Kinky 2018 Jean Claude Lama, um, Lama, 
uh, however you pronounce it. Um, Vivica Fox is the only real notable act- actor in the whole thing. Um, Oba Babatunde uh, is one of the featured credits. He plays Robert Richard's dad. I have no idea who he is. Apparently he played Barry Gordy in the Temptations uh, miniseries. And he was uh, in That Thing You Do. No idea who this actor is, though. I don't think I've ever seen him. I don't recognize him from anything. But he's only in, like, one scene in the whole movie. So, glad he earned that feature and credit. Uh, yeah, this whole thing is a hot, hot mess. This is this year's The Room. It is beautifully trash. It is it is a wonderful, uh, unintentional comedy. And I can't help but recommend you go see it for all... Get yourself a group of friends... Find, get yourself loaded. Get your, drink plenty of alcohol. I don't recommend you see watch movies under the influence. You're going to want to be loosey-goosey for this one. So you can let the laughs just roll right out of you. This is terabad in all the right ways. Go seek this movie out if you want a good time. For a good time, watch Kinky. <laughs> anyway, that about does it for the review section. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll lead into this week's discussion. Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world, a chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. Once more with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. wasn't quite sure what to do for this week's discussion. Initially, my plan was, since Damien Chazelle is somebody I'm in the minority opinion on with, with, his, with regards to his quality as a director and the quality of his movies, I still think La La Land is one of the worst movie musicals I've ever seen, and I still think Whiplash is wildly overrated. Uh, like The only thing good about it is J.K. Simmons' performance. performance like, Oh, but Miles Teller, his character could put so much effort into becoming this jazz drunk. Like, yeah, he, he no, he's not like like you can feel bad for him because he's obviously obsessive about this one thing to the point where he causes himself, he self mutilates in order to pursue that dream. But I don't call that. I don't. That's not a thing I strive to. You know, I strive to do. Like I don't. Ever like that's any I belong. I took I took I was I believe I was no I would have just graduated recent uh, uh, about the time that um, that Whiplash came out and I guess because I was more more relaxed more casual it wasn't as intense that because uh, apparently Whiplash is based on the fact that uh, Chazelle and whoever the writer was. I think it was Chazelle too. I'm not sure, but whoever. But basically, it, it stemmed from the fact that there, you know, for the more competitive schools of music out there, that there are kids who go to these lengths. And all I have to say is, 
y'all need to chill. If that's the case. If this is the kind of crap you put yourself through, y'all need to chill. I don't feel bad for you in, in hurting yourself for, for your passion because guess what? That's going to come back to bite you. You won't be able to perform your music as long because you put you hurt your damn self. It's not my fault you didn't take care of yourself. Um, I don't feel bad. Yeah, I don't feel bad for you for, for mutilating yourself and your own obsession. That's that You got to take care of yourself, dude. I can't feel bad for you. You did this to yourself. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't care. Plus, Miles Teller has always kind of come off as a douche in all of his performances. From Reed Richards to to Whiplash Kid to his part in Divergent. He's always just come off as a douche. Even when he's trying to be a decent guy like it, thank you for your service. I can't like him. I don't. I haven't yet to see him give a good performance or 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 a or a compelling performance besides you know um un, you know like tones of douchebaggery, undertones of douchebaggery. <laughs> um, suffice to say that yeah, my initial plan was unpopular opinions, and then after um, I actually actually had to recommend and eat, 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 you know, eat my words. When it came to uh, First Man, I was talking so much smack and I had to come back and say, yep, I was wrong. That movie was well made. But at the same time, I don't, I didn't enjoy it. And that leads into this week's discussion, which is what liking a movie and enjoying a movie versus respecting a movie. And that, I think that's kind of the difference. The, the idea that Analyzing a movie, recognizing what you know that it was that you know, all the good work that is being done, versus personally enjoying a movie, and you know you know basically the difference between critique and entertainment. So, so here's how I broke it down: uh, a well-made movie ties into the whole production line, the writing. Writing the dialogue, right? You know the storyline development, the themes, the motifs, all of that. That well-made movies have stellar writing. It always starts with the script. If the script is bad, it's not nothing else. The movie does can save it. I mean, you could people will forgive terrible scripts if if it's got uh, effects work or charismatic actors, but it's not going to make the movie great. Ultimately, you can enjoy it, but it's not going to make the movie any better. Uh, acting, the acting has to be, the actors have to embody their characters and present them well to the audience. That's always, uh, a key talking, key, you know, key focal point when it comes to movies. Um, the scene design and the scene, and the scene, you know, the production design, all the effort that goes into creating the environment of the, of the movie, ensuring that what you're seeing is either realistic you know, in terms of drama or fantastical in terms of anything sort of fa- fantasy or sci-fi or, you know, of that nature. Every, you know, you have to feel a, a good movie, a well-made movie will make you feel like you're a part of that world. That you are witnessing the events occur in that universe. Um... But of course, you know technical things like lighting and sound design, and basically the all the stuff that people don't that people say should be cut out of the Oscar um, Oscar uh, show, the Oscar awards show, uh, the actual tele, the televised awards. Um, 
you know, the stuff that people aren't necessarily interested in, but it does make a difference. If the sound design and the sound uh, editing is bad, it will show in the movie and people won't, won't, people, when your sound design is bad, it's noticeable. Unfortunately, when sound design and that sort of, all that stuff is good, people will never notice it because they don't, they don't, they aren't paying attention to the finer details. And that's kind of the sad thing is that great Great technical work is is rewarded with with um, with no attention. People don't pay attention to it if you did your job well. Uh, although if you did your job really well, people will definitely point it out. Um, so you have to either do your job so well that it does garner attention over everything else, or you uh, do your job so poorly that's how you garner attention. Otherwise, your part of the movie is almost fully ignored by the mainstream audience and it's kind of sad ultimately and that's kind of why I'm, I don't mind seeing those awards being given during the televised Oscars or anything like that because yeah those people do deserve credit for their hard work because they are an integral part of the filmmaking process so the technical there are you know all of the facets of the actual filmmaking process they can they can be well done and yet you won't enjoy the movie and I think that's the whole thing. For, for me personally, actor, if the, uh, actors with charisma and with these, the, you know, that sort of personality, whether it's part of the character and the writing or whether it's they themselves, that will save a movie for me. Uh, and that will make me enjoy a movie. Like Chris, watching Chris Hemsworth and Jeff Bridges and all the people in Bad Times at the El Royale or watching all of the uh, wonderful actors in the... In, the, this year's Marvel movies. Um, those actors embody those characters in a way that it makes that they're compelling to watch. Um, moving dialogue. The dialogue has to be well written enough that it's clever and feels realistic without being hammy and over the top or just downright terrible. Because there's plenty of times where dialogue is is overwritten. And then there are also times where dialogue is terribly written. So you can go too far in either direction. And a good you want to stay just just better than average. You don't want to go too far into like ham-fisted, almost faux Shakespearean level dialogue writing. But you don't want to go so bad that it sounds like you, you sounds like you don't know how human beings communicate. Um, the storylines and the motifs and the themes that go into the movie, like. Um, like how um, Black Panther deals with colonialist ideas and the idea of you know uh, isolationism and and militarism and when when is being mil- when is showcasing when is violence okay versus you know what should you do with the, the, your re- the resources given to you should you hoard them and protect them or should you use them for good or should you use them to you know bring rain vengeance down on your enemies you know that sort of thing that sort of thing so many you know a movie a good movie is a work of art and great art makes you think so if a movie is making you think that means it's got that means the writer and the director have done their job and they've made you think about these sorts of things after the fact you know um i don't know if bad times the royale will really make me think that much but at the same, but it it's made up for that with everything else going on around it. It's the production design. It's it's aesthetic. 
it it works for itself. Although there are definitely some themes going on in the movie. I don't know that I would talk about them a whole lot. I'd have to rewatch it a couple more times to kind of formulate my thoughts on it. But it definitely is worth... I, I still, Once again, still my pick of the week. I still can't get it out of my head. It's so good. Um, and of course, like things like music and the once again, all of the technical aspects... When they're done well, a in like once again, First Man is well made. It is a everything is done correctly, and everything is not only done correctly but done to their best extent. I and then at the same time, I could not enjoy the movie. I didn't feel anything coming out of First Man. Whereas I felt multiple emotions coming out of Kinky and you know, Goosebumps and especially Bad Times of the El Royale. I felt things coming out of those movies. Whereas First Man I felt hollow. I felt like I I felt like I was I, I felt like I'd had nothing. You know, there was this nothingness, this emptiness from seeing the movie, just because there wasn't any, there wasn't anything to really compel me to praise the movie, even though it did do its job well. It did well. It did its job well. Everyone did their jobs well, but I can't say that it 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 brought out any emotion in me, and I think that's the key difference. And uh, which brings which begs the question: Is it wrong? To not like a well-made movie. And the obvious answer is, of course not. You know, you should not feel bad for not liking things that are technically good. You know, people, there's, like, you could, like, when you, let's, let's talk about music. Classical music and a lot of, like, older genres, they are technically proficient. They are well-executed. They are beautifully done. Not everybody is going to enjoy that music. Let's talk about modern genre. Let's talk about more modern genres: hip hop, country, rock and roll. Not every music has to be good, but it has to make you feel emotion. That's what speaks to people. So a song doesn't have to be good for people to enjoy it. It just has to catch them and make them feel enjoyment and trigger those neurotransmitters in the brain. Because that's the that's the thing. All of this, all of the stuff I'm talking about breaks down to the release of neurotransmitters in the brain that make you feel joy. The release of, I believe, like dopamine, specifically, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the happiness uh, neurotransmitter. I'm pretty sure it's dopamine. Now I'm going to have to check, make sure I'm right about which neurotransmitter. Send signals to the brain, include several distinct dopamine pathways. Ba, 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 ba. Reward motivated behavior. So am I thinking of because it's either dopamine or serotonin. One of those two is sort of like I think dopamine is when you do a good job versus serotonin is sort of just like like you it's, it's dopamine is released in the same sense of like the Pavlovian sort of thing. Where it's the idea that you did a thing and you got a reward for that thing. Uh, dopamine versus ser- serotonin. Here we go. Uh, Low motivation, feeling, blah, 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 loss of interest. 
Okay. I guess I've just been studying serotonin. The, this is all to do with depression, though. Um, dopamine system dysfunction is linked to certain symptoms of uh, serotonin is involved in how you process your emotions, which can affect your overall mood. Okay. There you go. Better help. There we go. Um, signals between cells of the body. Most well-known functions have to do with brain fun- mood. Um, okay, so... Serotonin controls your mood, whereas dopamine is the pleasure center. Deals with the pleasure center. It deals with, um, deal. That's where it deals with like the happiness and your feeling of elation. When you get dopamine release, that's when it. Um, that's what. So it, yeah. So I am thinking of dopamine, not, uh, not serotonin, nor epinephrine. Norepinephrine has to do with concentration and endurance. Um, no, wait. Serotonin. Relaxation, relaxation, pleasure, learning. Mem- okay, no, I was wrong. Yeah, yeah, dopamine deals more with clarity, motivation, working memory. Serotonin deals with that satisfaction. That sort of... So, wait a minute. Hold on. Sorry. I'm doing a, a base-level dive into uh, brain chemistry to try and explain my point. Um, mood booster thing with mood regulator keeps the mood stable. Uh, ba ba Something you talked about bringing up tryptophan for some reason. Place quarter world movement. Da da da. Serotonin and dopamine serve different purposes on the brain. They are both neurotransmitters and function as messengers between brain cells. Dopamine brings feelings of pleasure and provides happiness boost. So this... Wait a minute, hold on. Serotonin is more of a stabilizer than a booster. So dopamine is the one that boosts your mood. Serotonin levels you out. So then why does serotonin... The one... They they have a Venn diagram here that says serotonin is the one that boosts relaxation, pleasure, and learning memory, and it's part of the satisfaction, whereas dopamine is tied more to alertness. No idea what's going on, but yeah. Uh, Then, of course, there's also, like, endorphins, um, which are the field... Is that what I'm thinking of? Endorphins? Binds receptors to the brain. Most people associate endorphins with exercise or runner's high. Endorphins are similar to morphine as they reduce one's perception of pain and work as a sedative. I... uh, This is way above my pay grade. I have no idea which neurochemical I'm trying to talk about. So, if you are familiar with psychology and neurology and you can tell me what neuro what um neurotransmitter is the one i'm thinking of then please send me an email at popcornchuckypodcast at gmail.com and i will be glad to update my listeners on the actual science of feeling happiness but suffice to say that whatever the neurotransmitter is that boosts that you feel like joy after after hearing a song, after reading a book, after watching a movie, that is that you that that is kind of the main difference between entertainment and um, you know uh, critical thinking of like recognizing the 
the t- quality of a movie versus enjoying seeing the movie. And there is no, neither is wrong. You don't have to be critically minded of movies. And that's kind of why I prefer reviewers to critics. Critics are de- more focused on the technique of the um, of the process of filmmaking. They don't focus a lot on the whole the pure emotions that come from film watching. As a you know, if they don't they tend to focus less on the entertainment aspect of film and more of the artistic aspect of film. And kind of that's kind of the, that's where the divide between critics and um, audiences breaks down. Because critics are, will think of will, will won't won't care whether or not they enjoyed the movie, they are appraising the movie for its value, for its art, for for you know how it how it perpetuates the art form of filmmaking. Whereas audiences, they aren't concerned with the technical aspect of the film; they are more concerned with did I enjoy myself, and that's why you know big budget stuff that's that people deride all the time, like, oh, Transformers and uh, Twilight and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, oh, God, how can people enjoy X thing? Well, because you don't always get to pick what you enjoy. Enjoyment is not a logical process. It is when you hear, when, you're, when your brain processes that information, that, that imagery, that sound, that... You know all of those, all of these sensory things. Once your brain processes what it is witnessing, that's when your brain. That's when it either then that's when the whatever the neurotransmitter is will release, and it tells you I enjoy the thing. This is the thing I enjoy. So, so it's not. It, it you know you can't control what your brain enjoys. So the fact that there are, you know, people who are, are uh, you know, that love Venom or love Tyler Perry movies or love Twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever it is. There are people who enjoy those movies because it, that's what, that's the kind of thing, that's the artwork that releases those neurotransmitters. I still want to say it's dopamine. I want to say it's dopamine that that's released because that's the reward that you know, watching the, the watching that thing releases dopamine to reward your brain and gives you that high of like enjoyment. I want to say it's that. I, I could be wrong though. So, yeah. I mean, other example. I, I mean, there are some examples of movies that I don't enjoy, but I respect. And you know, things like Schindler's List, Twelve Years a Slave, movies that I can't. I don't have the emotional fortitude to witness Birth of a Nation, not the original Birth of a Nation, which is trash. I mean, the whole thing is trash, and uh, D.W. Cooper is uh, not Cooper. D.W. Griffith, you know, is a was marked down as a fairly racist individual, and that information I'm mainly getting from uh, from I can't remember his last name. Kyle, uh, yeah, Calgren. Kyle Colgren from Browse Held High. He's a, he's an actual film student. And if he's the one telling me that D.W. Griffith is a is a piece of trash, then I'm willing to take his you know trust his opinion because he would know better. He would know more than I would on the on the actual filmmaker. Um, but no, I'm more talking about um, the one about Nat Turner. Uh, that one is also an emotionally draining movie to watch that I can't imagine watching more than once. But 
is a well-made movie and it's highly recommendable. But, you know, it's when I say you should see this movie, not you'll love this movie. So, there's no, and that's the thing, neither, neither viewpoint is wrong. You know, people who enjoy those kind of artistic movies, things that are more driven by either amb- artistic ambition and experimentation or that are driven by, to push the boundaries and test your limits of, you know, either um, morality or, um, for, you know, emotional fortitude, your, 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 you know, how much empathy, you know, how much, you know, draining your your empathy reserves as it were like how much can you withstand before you just feel just feel hollow inside um not from not 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 because you're bored so if i you know like i was with first man because that's the thing first man ultimately bored me it's not a bad movie but it didn't bring it didn't it didn't it didn't feel like i was one to um you know, I'm not going to think about it again either. It's just, it exists in the universe. And it's neither good nor bad. It's It, it simply exists. That's But that's just me. So, uh, this is, you know, and of course, this is why uh, after, um, after, after, uh, I think my first two years of making content, I used the top 10 best and worst. I think, I may have in 2013 started using favorite and least favorite, but that's why I specify in my year-end lists. These aren't the movies I rank aren't the best. If that were the case, First Man would definitely be on the best in terms of quality filmmaking. In terms of a well-made movie, First Man is a best is one of the best of the year. In terms of movies I enjoyed and would watch again and would recommend to people, it's nowhere near. It's not. It's 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 not. It's strictly in the middle because I have no feelings towards the movie. Whereas things that I enjoyed that people may people think are maybe bad or aren't as good, I you know things like Love Simon, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, yeah, apparently Bad Times of the Royale isn't exactly getting stellar reviews from critics, but I still enjoyed that more than First Man or you know anything of that nature. Like there's a there's a t- there are times when I can enjoy more artistic endeavors, more um, you know more less less commercially driven films and more artistically driven films, things like Eighth Grade or. Even Star is Born feels more artistically driven than commercially driven. And yeah, that there I can enjoy those films, but I tend to go more for something that just once again, it just has to make me feel an emotion. And if a movie can't do that, then I tend to forget it and I tend not to worry about it. So my favorite movies are the ones that that get, make me feel the most positive after watching. Whereas the least favorite are the ones that make me feel the the worst after watching. Meanwhile, even though I think First Man is not that that it's not you know it's not it kind of left me cold and hollow after watching because because I did just didn't have that emotional depth for me. I can't exactly put it on my blandest list either. I was thinking about that now just now, 
Like, would I put that on my blandest list? And yet it's not. It's not bland. It is well executed. It is well... It has a purpose. And it has... And it's, and what it's trying to do is good. I just didn't feel anything. I, it didn't make me feel anything watching it. And that's not what bland... It's not bland. Bland is more like... You know, the, I mentioned these before. Dog Days. Mamma Mia 2. Uh, the Miracle Season, Adrift, movies that movies that took my time. First Man didn't waste my time. It, I, I didn't enjoy it, but I can't say I was my time was wasted at, from watching it. I want my time back for Gotti and Life of the Party and Seven Days in Entebbe. I want my time back for that because it didn't benefit my time in any way. It didn't make me. It didn't, I didn't hate them. I don't. I. They just didn't add anything to the canon of filmmaking. That's that's what Bland is to me. This ultimately led up to my breakdown of why I have favorite, least favorite, and Blandest. But yeah, I mean that's the whole thing is that movies are art, and no matter what, even even if it's commercially created art, it's still art, and the art is subjective. You can't decide what you, you know, you can't, you can only define what is good to a point because ultimately what makes, what is good to you is what releases those neurotransmitters and uh, those chemicals in your brain that make you feel happiness and joy and, you know, just anything that, that creates a good emotion in you, that's what's good to you. So it's hard to say what is good objectively when ultimately what is good is subjective. It's what you yourself enjoyed. And so that's why I tend not to worry about people saying what is the best of the year. Even if I, I, unless it's something that I outright hated and have to vehemently disagree with, I can't deride people for saying, and yeah, I still can't deride. And even in that case, I can't. You know, if somebody said Man of Steel was their favorite Superman movie, I'd look at them, you know, like, <laughs> questioningly. Like, really? That one? You sure about that? But at the same time, you can't help what you enjoy. I can't help what I enjoy. Nobody can help what they enjoy. It's all, it all, it, your brain functions in and of itself. You can't decide what you enjoy. You can familiarize with certain things and you can respect certain certain things. You can critically break down and understand certain things, but it won't make you enjoy them. That is, let me try that. Let me try my other hand. That instantaneous sort of when you get it, when it's like, I like this. That's uncontrollable. You don't get to decide what those are for you. So if it's reality TV or pumpkin spice lattes or rainy days or whatever it is, if it sparks that feeling of enjoyment in you, you don't control that. You can't help that. And as long as it's not hurting somebody else, it's not a bad thing. You enjoy what you enjoy. That's all that's important. And with that said, I think it's about time we should move on to the 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 end the, you know the end game of our little podcast and start things off with the box office report. 
And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. So we got a bunch of brand new releases. Like I mentioned, Kinky is not going to show up anywhere on Box Office Mojo, sadly. I and that and that kind of sucks. And I want to know how many people are watching that with me. But at any rate, uh, we got some. So with all with like three new wide releases premiering, uh, let's take a look at what what's been going on uh, with the with the box office. Uh, the hate you give in the lead up to its full wide release, it's definitely. Uh, rising in popularity and it's starting to see a, a, a gain jump from 13 to 9. Uh, meanwhile, The Nun, A Simple Favor, and The House of the Clock and His Walls have all dropped out uh, of the top seven, so we're done talking about them for now. Uh, premiering at number seven this week was Bad Times at the El Royale, which brought in $7 million, uh, which is kind of bad. Uh, brought, in four, brought in an extra four for the foreign markets, so it its opening weekend is $11 million. Now, thankfully, if enough people continue to, to continue to see it and, you know, there's a lot of return it, uh, viewership, it might boost that. It only costs $30 million, $32 million to make. So hopefully, if, if it can last long enough at the box office, it can make that up. And I really hope it does because I, I, it, I, I can't recommend that movie enough. It is genuinely enjoyable. At least to me. Uh, dropping down from four to six is Kevin Hart's Night School, which brought in $8 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $59.8 million and a worldwide total of $75 million, which on a $29 million budget means this is this is doing great. He's doing well. People love Kevin Hart. So even though I think it's a movie, the movie's pretty, pretty bad. As long as once again, you can't help what makes you laugh, and it, people are people are definitely returning to this movie. So good for Kevin Hart. He's you know, he, you know I, I I can't say I'm disappointed because it's not like Kevin Hart's a bad comedian doesn't who I don't think deserves that much praise. We'll get to somebody. We'll get to that movie in a bit. Uh, dropping down from three to five is Smallfoot which brought in $9.3 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $57.6 million and its worldwide total up to $110 million. Now, if we break... Now, if we, uh, unfortunately, Box Office Mojo doesn't have it, it the budget information, but I can't imagine it's over... Okay, yeah, $80 million budget... So it's well on its way to make, making back its money. It's still got a bit. It's if it can get fifty million dollars more in the run, it'll fully break even. Uh, unless there's some backroom dealing, like where it's uh, merchandising or something to make back uh, product, any sort of budgetary risks. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that end of things. I know there are plenty of movies that do that, but uh, yeah, the movie seems to be doing all right. I mean, it made back its budget. That part's good. Uh, we'll see if it's able to hold in long enough to make make any sense of many any semblance of a profit. Premiering at number four this week is Goosebumps Two: Haunted Halloween, which premiered at, in premiered in the states at sixteen point two million dollars and had an extra three point seven from the foreign markets, which brought its opening weekend total up to nineteen point nine million dollars. So. This cost about as much as Bad Times of the El Royale. This is $35 million. Not exactly. It's doing better than Bad Times of the El Royale. And I think leading up to Halloween, this might uh, keep it, you know, keep that momentum going. This, this is the perfect month to have released this. 
and we'll see if it's able to make back that money. I'm sure it'll ultimately uh, make back the money on home video, probably. that This seems like a home video sort of thing. Or cable. Like, this would, this would be shown on uh, Freeform, uh, formerly a- ABC Families, that sort of thing. Uh, premiering at number three this week is uh, First Man, which opened at $16.5 million uh, domestically and... Uh, had a worldwide opening weekend gross of $25 million, which is half of its budget. So this might actually be one the lowest performing of Damien Chazelle's movies. We'll have to wait and see. Um, unless they can pick things up in the, in the next coming weeks or can stay on long enough to make back that extra money. This is the high, most expensive new release of the weekend. And it sadly couldn't compete with la- with uh, the last two mo- with last weekend's um, uh, 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 releases. Uh, so it's, that stinks that the new releases couldn't beat the last weekend's releases. Which number two and number one are the same. They stayed exactly where they were. A Star Is Born is at number two with twenty eight million dollars this weekend, which brought its domestic total up to ninety four million dollars. And it's worldwide gross up to $135 million, which means this movie is just steamrolling on. This, mo- this movie made back its money and then some, which is great for Bradley Cooper. It shows that he has the financial means to continue directing. And it's great for this movie because it means people are, are watching it and enjoying it like I did. So good on you, Stars Born. You deserve it. One who didn't deserve it, I don't think, is Venom, which may stayed its whole stranglehold at number one with $35.7 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $142.8 million and its worldwide gross up to $378 million. This made about as much as the Meg. This is, this is a runaway success, which nobody predicted. And now that we have the foreign markets breakdown... I need to see who's doing who is to blame. Uh, biggest ones are from South Korea, Russia, uh, Mexico, and Mexico. Those are the ones that are in the double. Di- oh, and UK. Y'all, y'all, y'all need to do better because y'all should not be giving this movie double-digit million dollars. Like you should be more like Slovenia, which gave it like fifty-eight thousand. That's fifty-eight thousand more than it deserves. But yeah, that's what everybody should be giving this movie. I'm sorry, like I this movie, even if I can't even consider it so bad, it's good. It's not enjoyable to me. It's it's trash. It's unenjoyable trash for me. I can't like if you if you enjoy it in the good so bad it's good sense, it's fine. But don't keep giving it money. Pirate it. Just wait till it comes out on DVD. Don't don't just keep. Throwing money at this movie, they're gonna, they're gonna keep screwing it up. Don't reward Sony for bad behavior. <sighs> yeah, I, I can't. I don't want a trashy Morbius movie. I don't want the Spider Verse starring Venom. Sony Animation is doing its own Spider Verse. Let them handle it. You don't need live action Spider Man if you're just gonna mess it up. <sighs> So yeah, that was this weekend's box office. So with the past settled, let's take a look ahead to the future in Trailer Talk. Coming this summer.
It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. This weekend actually only has two releases, and one of them is not a. It, it's an expansion, not a full release. The Hate You Give is actually expanding, so there's only one brand new release this weekend. So, without further ado, let's take a look at the trailer for Blumhouse's Blumhouse's edition of Halloween. Miramax. Okay, so yeah, Miramax is still tied into the franchise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here we go. Love this continuous shot. This long shot is great. 40 years ago, on Halloween night, Michael Myers murdered three people. Yeah, the nice thing about Jamie Lee Curtis is that she's fully embodied her this part of her life. Like, she hasn't shied away from this role of hers. And she's like, she's like, she's like hanging out at like Comic Con and stuff like that. She's, she's, she's one, she's who I want to be when I grow up. Nice. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the murders. If they're going to go full gore, if they're going to leave things to the, to you know, to the imagination. Every night that he would escape. What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Yeah, badass Lori Strode. Michael Myers escaped. He'll return to Haddonfield. His home. Oh, it, oh, it looks like there's going to be like a documentary crew trying to uncover the mystery of Michael Myers. You need help. Evil is real. Hi, Judy Greer. Love that she's in this. There's a reason we're supposed to be yeah. in this place. I've been preparing for this for a long time. It is not safe to be on the street tonight. Go home! Get out of here! Get inside! Michael! He's here. Still blows my mind that this was co-written by Danny uh, McBride. He is a killer. Jamie Lee Curtis. He will be killed tonight. Happy Halloween, Michael. Yeah. I'm not. Sure. I'm curious to see what continuity they're going to follow for this one. If they're going to lead straight from two, or if they're going to do a, like what? Because that's the whole thing. The Michael Myers continuity for Halloween has just gone just all over the place. So I'm curious. To, like, are they going to go from Halloween H2O, the you know the whole '90s era Halloween movies? Are those going to be part of it? But. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I'm I'm excited. If this does well, I still say Blumhouse should handle the other slasher movies because if they can do this well, I trust them to make you know kind of do better than what Platinum's Dune, Platinum Dunes did for the uh, slasher remakes. And then here we go uh, the expansion the expansion of a movie I'm really excited for the Hate You Give. My name is Star. Hi, Amanda Stenberg. Young adult adaptation uh, superstar. Mama and Daddy says our life is here because our people are here. The high school is where you go to get junk, high, or pregnant. We don't go there. 
Williamson is another world. So when I'm here, I'm star version two. Until the weekend comes around. I'm curious if this can be narrated or if, it, or if that's just for the trailer. Now I know you be hanging all the white kids. Out of the car. Yo, star, you okay? Go back where he told you. Khalil, I'm not playing. Go back where. <laughs> From 20th Century Fox. Today, Garden Heights is reeling after the shooting of a 17-year-old black teenager by a white police officer. Based on the breakthrough best-selling novel. Brutality. We live in a complicated world. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. Commons in this, yeah. Anthony Mackie is like one of the one of the one of the guys, you know, pushing for violence. I think. Find your voice. Change the world. When you're ready to talk, you talk. Don't ever let nobody make you be quiet. I ain't named you star by accident. The hate you give. Cinema's October 22nd. Yeah, great trailer music too. Uh, I love Amanda Stenberg. I think she's stuck in the rut of being a young adult. Um, like... It was nice to see her get more stuff after uh, the Hunger Games, but I think the whole like every I didn't enjoy everything, everything, and as much as I, you know, the Darkest Minds, t- you know, hit me right where I, where I enjoy like the superhero stuff. I I really, you know, I, I can't I, I can't call that a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. Whereas this looks like a genuinely good movie um, and a great and once again great cast lineup. Uh, not only is Amanda Stenberg our lead, we got Regina Hall, Anthony. I mentioned Anthony Mackie. Commons in this. Um, who was her dad? Russell Hornsby. He, who, where do I know him from? Fences. That's what it is. I, I love him in Fences. Um, apparently, he's also in Creed. Or is it just Creed Two? Let me see. Twenty fifteen. That was when Creed came out. I have to watch that one. So yeah, he wasn't in. He's he's gonna be in Creed two, this time around. Um, Grim seven seconds. He seems to be more of a TV actor. Uh, that's where his most of his stuff. Uh, Lincoln Heights in Treatment, Terminator Salvation, the video game. So I mean, like he, this dude's always this dude's a working actor. That's good. After the Sunset, Milk and Honey, Train Ride, Meet the Parents. Uh, it was a minor role, but I know him for Fences, where he was uh, Lions. Who was Lions? Um, I think that, he, that was uh, the best friend or the brother. Let me see. Troy, Rose, Jim Bono, Corey, Lyons. Who's Lyons? Pop, if you knew how to read, you'd be all right. Oh, no, he was um, he was the older brother. Uh, the one who came back and was always asking for money. Uh so yeah, that's how I know him. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. He kind of remind—he actually kind of reminds me of a uh, Dion Cole in this movie. I think that's his name. Uh, Dion Dion Cole's a comedian, um, best known for like the bar. He's Dante in the Barbershop series, or no, he's Dante in the Barbershop Next Cut. But he's Darrell in the original Barbershop. But he's um, Charlie Telfy on Blackish. He the um, uh, Hornsby. Kind of reminds me of Dion Cole uh, for some reason in that trailer, but he. Either way, point is, well, the cast in this is phenomenal, and I can't wait to see this movie. 
man, black cinema is, is, is hitting the mainstream with a vengeance, and I love it. I can't wait to see how it comes. I th- can't wait to see how it turns out. Um, George Tillman is the director. Uh, notorious uh, producer on Barbershop, director of Soul Food. So yeah, I'm, um, I'm producer on Mudbound as well. Uh, director on Luke Cage. He had, did an episode Now You're Mine from 2016. Uh, best known for Faster and Notorious, though. Men of Honor, uh, Soul Food. So. This is us. He's directed a couple episodes. So this is his first movie since 2015 with The Longest Ride, which I'm not familiar. Oh, God. He directed. That's the one with Scott Eastwood based on Nicholas Sparks. Oh, poor guy. Stuff you have to put up with as a director to get work. At any rate, uh, dude is a a great director, especially when he's... uh, Present especially such with his uh, connection to to black media, black movies, uh, you know, black centric movies, and this 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 looks like it's going to be one of the picks of the year. So I can't wait to finally see it, and uh, that'll be this weekend. So that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GummyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by uh, whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting the page so that you can always visit it and check out all of the new content. Be sure to also check out all of our other fine programming uh, this week. This week, as if you're listening to this, uh, when it's when we're live, then uh, we got a new episode of um, Living in the Stacks coming out. It'll be the um, it'll be Max leading the discussion on one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite movies, The Last Unicorn. So stay tuned for that coming out uh, tomorrow. If you're listening to this brand new, or this week, if you're listening to it, uh, uh, at, at, you know, recently. Uh, and also, just check out Living in the Stacks. We have a lot of fun on there. We, we recorded uh, the, the, the next episode coming up as well. And we're having a great time. So come join us for our little audio book club. And be sure to check out all of the other fine programming we have here from Donna over at Snarkcast. And uh, Mike and I should be getting ready to do uh, Mod Day again. And we've got plans to bring back Tragic Missile in a new way. So be sure to stay tuned for all that. And... Let us, you know, let your friends know about this too. And if you're not listening to us on the webs on the through the website, you can always follow the feed through your various podcast providers. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google Play, um, Stitcher, Spreaker, um, Spotify. So as long as you're seeing my orange mug chomping on popcorn, staring at the movies, then and you see, and we're well into the triple digits, then you're in the right place. So be sure to uh, subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should too. Uh, And also be sure to share us on social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the, that's the main news hub for, for uh, content. That's where I announce all, all kinds of the major stuff. And when I'm like, when I'm seeing new movies and when the new episodes come out and when there are major changes coming out, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at CornJunkiePod. That's where I do the Twitter munch-alongs and the Twitter trailer, the Twitter trailer talks, where I comment on the trailers that play before new releases. And you can also just join me in the discussion of movies and stuff. And then, of course, you can follow me on Instagram at PopcornJunkiePodcast. I'm a little less active there, uh, sadly. I, I'm still trying to figure out what best, how best to integrate myself into Instagram's um, 
aesthetic. Uh, and then, of course, you can follow me on on Stardust. Uh, I, I did uh, reactions to all of the new releases coming out. And if you want to keep in touch for what I've got planned for this year's Halloween Spooptacular coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, then you can also follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie, and you can see for yourself my reactions to what I will be covering for a sneak peek. And also be sure to follow some of the other great people the Internet's other John Bailey, Epic Voice Guy, uh, the voice for Honest Trailers, he is the king of Stardust. I have yet to see another person uh, master Stardust as well as he has him. But I also recommend you check out Double Toasted, The Schmoes Know, uh, Mars goes on there, though she's a little less active. Uh, plenty of people have joined us on Stardust, and you can, too, either leave your own reactions or... Follow people you like to see what they think of the new movies, TV shows, trailers, everything that's coming out. Um, and come, so come join us on Stardust. Come play with us forever and ever and ever. Um, and then, of course, uh, you can also check out on Patreon. Patreon's a little less quiet, a little less uh, active now, just because I'm holding back until I can gain a following there. So if you have as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to all of the. Um, much along and make a better movie episodes that are up there as well as gain early access to all new episodes and then once we get enough people joining the Patreon I can start re uh, start producing more content exclusive to Patreon so if you want one in on that you can donate as little as a dollar a month and gain access to all the rewards through patreon.com slash popcorn junkie and if there's anything else you want to say any kind of feedback you want to give any kind of recommend any kind of um uh, if you know what neurotransmitter I was thinking of for sure, then set, you can, uh, and if, and, or if there's any, if you, and if, uh, what are your opinions on the things I saw? Did you enjoy First Man, but you, but you hated Bad Times at the El Royale? I want to know your thoughts. Send those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and leave a, leave a note in the, in the, in the message that you would like your comment right on the, right on the mic. And I will do so. I would love to hear your thoughts and stuff. So that about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and we're still getting used to the new studio space. We move, I moved uh, in Casa de Juan to a new studio space. We've got a whole new setup. So if, there's, if you notice a change in audio quality, that would be why. And pretty soon we should get things rolling, and it will actually sound nice for a change. Wouldn't that be great if this actually sounded professional for a change? That'd be really nice. theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nathio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nathio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Don't support movie access trailers. I'm going to cut all this out. Find a real trailer for crying out loud.